And please remember, God always blesses his word. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, after the Passover, to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The very night when Herod was about to bring him out, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your mantle around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and passed on through one street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and told that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are mad. But she insisted that it was so. They said, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell this to James and to the brethren. Then he departed and went to another place. Amen. And amen. It costs. It costs to belong to anything that is something. It really doesn't matter what it is. The cost is great. Makes no difference, really, if you're talking about being a communicant in a church, a citizen in a country, a colleague in a company, a candidate for a club, or a contributor to a community of love like the home. It costs. It costs to belong. There 
or no free memberships. And the older we get, and the older the institution gets, the more the costs escalate. And of course, the cost that we're talking about cannot be counted in cash and in checks. So if it were, it'd be much easier for money's about the cheapest thing that there is in life. Now, it costs for far more than what money can purchase. It costs. It's a high cost that you have to pay if you're going to belong. And it costs are so high that they will deprive you and me of some of our rights. Things like that. Rights. Let's look at the situation as found in Acts, the twelfth chapter. Peter denied himself some rights. That's what this is all about. Peter had just seen one of his best friends die, killed, persecuted, his head chopped off. Peter had a right, you see, to say, hey, I'm getting out. I quit. This is too dangerous. It's too costly. But he didn't. Peter had a right to run away and to get away. He didn't. Peter had a right to deny everything that he stood for. You know, he'd done that before. And he had the right to do it again, just as you and I have a right at any time to deny everything that we stand for. But Peter didn't. No, he stayed there. And it cost him. It cost him embarrassment. It cost him to be arrested. And it cost him the possibility that his own life would end the next day. But Peter was willing to give up some of his rights because he thought it was more important for the church, for himself, and for what he believed in. I, I speak this for the simple reason that I think we'd better be a little bit careful in all the talk that is going on today about rights. Please think the preacher not unpatriotic nor less than a Christian, though I'm sure I'm going to be labeled unpopular by some. When I say that I think we better be a little bit careful when we talk too much and fight too strong for these things that the world is talking so much about today, the rights of individuals. I'm having a little trouble personally with my theology with my politics, with my own beliefs concerning this which sounds so good and sounds so humanitarian, but which confuses me. And I really got confused when they brought Anita Bryant to town. Because here was a group of people, the American Civil Liberties Union, who claims that they are interested in defending the rights of all people. God bless them. 
And they said to Anita Bryant that they would assure her of her right to speak. And then they joined the group of people who protested her speech. Now, that confuses me. I have a hard, hard time reconciling these things, which sound so good, but which lead me totally confused. It wasn't helped any when I read that editorial, and I'm sorry I neglected it to clip it, so I, I can't find it. I've turned the house upside down. I can't find it. So I can't give specific reference, and I'm sorry I can't even remember who wrote it, but it was a think piece that said, hey, let's stop for a moment to look at where this idea and insistence on individual rights might logically lead us. And the conclusion of that author was that perhaps if we follow logically where this insistence will lead us, it could bring us very well to the ruination of the very thing for which we in America stand. And as I recall it, it went something like this, that if you are going to follow this to its logical conclusion, it means that you will have to grant the right to the individual who wants to deny you the right to grant you the right so that he can deny you the right. That's right. I don't understand it, but that's right. And that's the confusion. And I wholeheartedly support President Jimmy Carter when he talks about human rights. And I'm on the side of the church when I think we're trying to talk about individual rights and civil rights and human rights and the rights of children. But it's got to end someplace. And I think the place it ends is when voluntarily we quit talking about rights and begin to assume to do what is right as God gives us the ability to see the right. Maybe a little old-fashioned. But I'm coming closer personally to that position where when we pray for guidance and search his word and are convinced with as much love as we can muster within our hearts and minds that this is what is right, then voluntarily we best submit ourselves to the responsibility of fulfilling that right. Queen Elizabeth, when she was a very little girl, one day was told she wasn't allowed to do something, and this crossed her, and just like all little people get crossed, when they want to do something and are not permitted to do so, and she announced, look, I am a princess, and I will do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And her grandfather, King Edward, said, young lady, you are a princess, and because you are a princess, that is the one reason why today or never will you be able to do everything you want to do. As we're talking about in the church, as we talk about in a nation, it's not subjection that comes only by force. It's not a type of submissiveness that comes as a slave finds to a master or a subject to a tyrant, but it's a submissiveness that comes in love. When people of God of this great land are willing to say, yes, I have the right, but in love I give up the right, because I don't think it is right for me. 
That's why it's so costly to belong. You know, on Memorial Day, we love to play the trumpets and wave the flags and march in the parades. But I wonder where we would be if some of our forefathers fighting in the wars of this country had not given up their right to run away, their right not to serve, their right to be a coward, and had not paid the supreme sacrifice so that you and I could stand here and sing, God bless our native land. I wonder where the church would be if Peter, on that day, had given up his right to run away, to be a coward, to deny everything that he believed in. Like many of you, I went to the cemetery this past week, fixed the graves. Didn't have to do that, just as you don't have to do it, it's our right not to. But we went, and I went out of love and respect for a father and mother. My mother's still living, and she went with me to the cemetery, and we did so out of respect for a man who gave up many of his rights to send me to school, to give me an education and a character and a life that enables me to have the right to stand here today. That's costly. I, too, was moved on Tuesday when the word came about that miraculous operation over the Monongahela. It was some experience. We won't forget it very soon. My heart went out to that courageous person who was the victim, but also to those individuals who gave up their rights to try to save a man and did so with the exception of his leg. I read one report of the attending physician. You probably read it too. A man who was summoned to the scene and he was the one who was directing the rescue attempt. That man had a right to remain down on the ground and send somebody else. That man had a right to say, oh no, you go, I'll stay here. But he went. And how thrilled I was to see the same spirit when that man told a reporter who had it published in the press. When he said, I climbed every step of that ladder scared to death, I refused to look back and I concentrated on the Hippocratic Oath which I took as a physician. And that's what enabled that man to get to the top to direct that rescue operation by remembering the rights that he had as a physician and the right he voluntarily took upon himself the day he became a physician, the right of responsibility to save lives, even when it cost him his own. That's what it's all about. In America, and in the Church of Jesus Christ, and in the homes of our land. It costs, and it costs us many rights, and may we never forget it. And it costs us something else, sleep. 
One of my favorite verses of Scripture, he gave his beloved sleep, because I like to sleep. But if you're going to belong to the country of America, of the Church of Jesus Christ, of a home of love, a company that is trying to help God build a better world, you're going to lose sleep. You're going to lose sleep. Can you imagine what would have happened if Peter, that night in prison, if he had decided that he wasn't going to get up? An angel of the Lord came. The Bible said it struck him. <laughs> St. Peter was one who loved the bed, too. St. Peter and the mattress. I think he really loved to sleep. The angel had to strike him. Get up. And you see, Peter, huh? Huh? No, Lord, you know, I'm going to have to die tomorrow. Lord, i got a big day on tomorrow. I can't, I can't get up tonight. Peter, get up. Put your coat on. Put your shoes on. Get your coat on. Lord, Mr. Angel, I can't go. There's 16 people out there between me and freedom. And what's more than that, there's a great iron gate that's locked with a Yale lock, and I can't get out. Peter, get up. Get up. Peter had the right, you see, not to get up out of his sleep. But Peter got up. He wasn't quite sure if he was in a vision, seeing a dream, or what. And you know, history records itself as it does. A miracle was took place, and prayer was answered because Peter was willing to lose sleep. And it hasn't changed much. There aren't many miracles happening in your life. Prayers are not being answered. History is not better than you think it should be. It may be because you're not willing to lose sleep. By the grace of God, I did not have to serve in the services of our country. Many of you did, and I enjoy hearing some of your stories. You know, and the thing that really impresses me most is not the number of battles some of you have seen, and boy, as I look out over the congregation, some of you knew the worst battles possible. And on behalf of all of God's people, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done. But the thing that impresses me the most is the way that you were able to operate without sleep. How many times you had to sleep on, on ground that was covered with snow or under skies whose clouds let down only heavy torments of rain. How you ever did it, I don't know. You see, I'm not much of an outdoorsman. My idea of a weekend camp out is three days at the Hilton Hotel. That's what I like. <laughs> How people can go without sleep, I don't know. But you know, one thing you've got to remember about God, his ways are not always our ways, and his time is not always according to our time. And I found out in the last four years, yes, that God sometimes speaks more clearly through his messengers and sends his messages more at night than he does in daytime. I'm of the fond belief that if you are a committed person to Jesus Christ and living in the power of his Spirit, I think you better keep a notebook or a pad of paper and pencil on the bedstand at night. 
And when these messages come and suddenly you're awakened out of a sound sleep, folks, it may not be because of your guilt. It may be very well the guidance of God. And I'm telling you, you better be willing to lose a little sleep. Write those messages down, because as many of us have done in the past, we've missed many a message simply because, let me go back to sleep. I'll remember it, and in the morning we can't remember a thing except that something happened. Peter, you know, he didn't know until after the whole experience that it was really an angel of God. He thought he was in a vision. He thought he was just dreaming a dream. It wasn't until he got outside that he realized the Spirit of God had been speaking to him and leading him through that messenger. And that's the way it happens with us. Sometimes it's not until it's all over that we look back and we see God speaking, awakening, and leaving. That's what really upsets me with some of our young people today, and it's not all their fault. But their lethargy, their apathy, their ability to fall asleep like that. And then we wonder why prayers are not answered, miracles don't happen, and why history is having such a difficult time. My years of ministry, I didn't have time to count it up, but I estimate that I've buried over 400 people. And you know, I have yet to bury the first person who died because of lack of sleep. God knows we don't need the sleep that some of us think we need. That's why I think he doesn't really apologize for interrupting us in the middle of the night. You read your Bible, you'll find how many times God speaks to people awakening from their sleep. And unless you and I become people who are willing to go with a little less sleep and give up the costs of maybe a sleepless night, I don't think this old nation or this great church it will become the place God intended it to become. And then it costs persistence, not only right sleep, but persistence. And that's one of the great things that I like about our lovable, like you and me, Peter. He was a persistent cuss. Oh, my. The thing that you see in his life, he kept on going. He went out fishing. He didn't catch a fish all night, but he kept on fishing. When following our Lord, he kept stumbling, falling down, but he kept picking himself back up again. When he was a leader to the church, he was constantly being criticized by his friends, but he kept on going. And he paid that cost of persistence, which can be very expensive at times, folks. Now, just look at this particular experience. Here, he's been a part of a miracle. Prayers have been answered. He is set free, and his life has been saved. And as soon as he gets out on the main street outside the outer gate, he thinks, I've got to go see my friends. So he goes to the house of Mary, where he thought all of them would be. And sure enough, he could hear them inside praying for his release. So he knocks at the door, and a young girl by the name of Rhoda, who must have been a little flaky, she came and she answered the door. But instead of opening the door when she heard Peter's voice, 
She got so excited, she ran back in to tell the people that Peter was there. And they said, he can't be. We're praying for him. She says, he's out there. Be still, girl. It's not him. It's his spirit. And they didn't open the door. And Peter keeps on knocking until his knuckles probably are raw. His voice is almost taken because he's yelling as loud as he dare under the situation, the precarious situation, to, to tell the people to open the door. I've stood at the door of people of friends who I feel I've been their answer to what they've been praying for. I'm their miracle. And they won't open the door. It's then I like to turn my back and walk away. But thank God for my hero, Peter, who kept on knocking. There are many clergymen in the church today, many people in the church today, who want to get out, and some have gotten out, and you ask them why, they will say, because of you and me. Because we have not realized that many of our prayers have been answered. We've heard the knock at the door. We haven't opened it. And I say unto them, why did you quit? Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep on knocking. But it's so costly. Your knuckles get raw. Your voice gets hoarse. Your heart gets heavy. And your mind begins to wonder, won't anybody listen? Please, open the door. Open the door God has sent me to answer your prayer. It's so costly to belong to this church, to belong to this country, to have a Christian home. It costs so much in the way of rights, sleep, persistence, and other things that you can't buy with money. Legend tells us that when Jesus Christ on the day of ascension went to heaven, one of his angels met him. And the angel could see the obvious visible signs of how Jesus had been suffered, nailed to the cross, and he said to our Lord, my you must have gone through horrible things for those people down there to tell them that you love them and that you've saved them. Jesus said, yes, I did. The angel said, well, what have you done to make sure that the people know the message? How many people know it down there? Does everybody know it? No, said Jesus, just a little handful of people down there in a corner of a land called Palestine. Angel said, well, what kind of arrangements have you made to make sure that the message is proclaimed? Jesus said, well, I told Peter and James and John to tell others with the expectation that they are to tell others and those are to tell others until the farthest person out on the widest circle will have heard the message. <laughs> the angel, knowing human nature, was somewhat dubious, and he says, yes, but what happens when Peter, James, and John forget? What happens when the people that they tell fail? What happens when people don't do what you expect them to do? What other plans do you have? And Jesus replied, I don't have other plans. 
I'm counting on them. Count the cost, people. Especially when you realize Jesus is counting on you and me to make America, the Christian church, and our homes miniature kingdoms of God here on earth. And it's not going to happen any other way. But God working through us, Jesus is counting on us. And it's costly. But Jesus says whoever saves his life is going to lose it. But anybody who's willing to lose his life for my sake in the gospel, he's going to fight. So when you start measuring the high cost of belonging, just remember it all began by an individual who gave his life so that we could belong to life. Hallelujah. Amen.